I'd ask you to turn a, a couple of places. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read anything, I don't think, out of, Deuter- out of um, Exodus 32, but that's where we'll preach from. But I'm going to read some out of Psalms 106 and then Ezekiel uh, chapter 22. If you want to turn along, it's, it's, it's not anything new. I've preached it before, um, but, uh, but it just seems it's needful. And uh, that's why I had them sing that song. It, it, this, uh, this sermon will hopefully be about intercession. And uh, you and I, in, in the Old Testament, it was the family of Levi and the tribe of Levi that the priesthood came from. That's where Aaron uh, belonged to the tribe of Levi. And, and the tribe of Levi had no inheritance in the promised land. God was their inheritance, and he, you know, they had land to live on, don't get me wrong. But, but when they were distributing the inheritance, the lot of, uh, of, of the service in the temple and in the tabernacle fell to the tribe of Levi. And those are where the priests in the Old Testament came in. Before that, every man was priest in his household. Um, and, and so... Uh, when when the Mosaic law was given and the priests started coming from the tribe of Levi, uh, it was it was their duty to uh, to offer the sacrifices and intercede with God on behalf of the people. In the New Testament age, the Church of the Living God, the Bible says that all of us who have been saved are become kings and priests. So part of our job as priests, as born-again believers, is to intercede on behalf of mankind with God. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I know there are religions who have go-betweens. You don't need me as a go-between between you and God. Amen. You don't, I mean, we're, we, we all have access. When the temple was torn in two... Uh, when the Lord Jesus was crucified, that opened up the way into the holiest of all, and, and it gave whosoever will the opportunity to come for your own self. So you don't need a go-between, but it is our job to intercede on behalf of those that we love. And, uh, and so that's what I'm going to try to preach about today. I'm going to read in Ezekiel first, chapter 22, just, uh, uh, just two verses in chapter 22 of Ezekiel. And starting about the 30th verse. And I got to thinking about this at Sister Frances' funeral the other day. And me and Jeff were talking. And, and, um, and there is a generation of, of men and women that were cut from a different cloth. And some of you are among us today. You, were, you grew up in a different time. And cut from a different cloth. One that, quite honestly, revered the house of God and the Word of God more than this generation today. And, uh, and you can say that's, that's, that's not true and you don't have to agree with it, but I, I'm just basing it on what I've seen with my own eyes that there is a generation that is leaving us and, uh, and, and so if I could title this message, I don't often do that, uh, it would just be help wanted. Help wanted. Now, God doesn't need our help as far as saving sinners. He does that on His own. But part of the 
commission, as we talked about in Sunday school in the New Testament, um, that, that work falls upon the church. It falls upon men to preach. It falls upon men to witness, women to witness, to sing, to teach, and, uh, and to live a life of intercession. And so while God doesn't need our help, He allows us to be part of His glory by entering into this work, and part of that work is intercession. And as this generation is leaving us one by one, uh, they are leaving great big gaps um, that, that, that men and women are going to have to fill if we want to continue this gospel dispensation and pass it down to the generation that's following. Uh, daily as I begin to pray and cry out to the Lord and try to intercede, uh, I'll often mention names of you that are here that as far as we know are lost without God. And then uh, after, after I mention your names and quite a few of you are young, uh, I get to thinking about the generation that's behind them that have not yet reached the age of accountability. Uh, but, but that consumes a big portion of my thoughts nowadays is what's going to happen to the generation that's following mine. Uh, because I know what's happened to the generation that's following the ones that are leaving. Uh, we are simply not doing the work that God has called us to do. And that they fa I thought about this and I grew up and uh, I'm old enough to remember when, uh, when the church that I grew up in didn't have any indoor plumbing. And we had an outhouse out back. I'm, I'm old enough to remember things like that. And I've heard uh, people say that, uh, that, uh, that before my time that most churches had pot-bellied stoves. And, and I'm saying that to say this. Travel wasn't easy back then. Uh, but, but they made it a priority to bring their children to, under the sound of the gospel. And that was the priority in, in, in a lot of homes. And, and I don't know that we've made that as much of a priority today as they did then. And I think they saw the fruits of that labor uh, when you could see them getting saved in revivals by the teens and twenties. And, and, uh, and they saw the fruits of that labor. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, we're seeing the fruits of our lack of labor in today's time. And so Ezekiel is addressing this in chapter 22 and verse 30. He says, and this is God speaking to Ezekiel, He said, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So he's saying there that I sought for a man among all of Israel that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And that is meaning that there had been a breach in the wall and, uh, and it left gaps in the wall. And he said, I've sought for a man, just one man, that would be able to stand in the gap and, uh, and I've thought as that generation is leaving us, and I thought of this as, as we uh, were burying Sister Frances this week, as that generation is leaving, they are leaving behind massive gaps in, this, uh, in their church. And, uh, and it is incumbent upon the younger generation to be like Isaiah and say, Here I am, Lord, send me. 
And we're going to have to make up the hedge and stand in the gap if we want to see revivals continue and and lost sinners continue to be saved. Uh, But in Psalms 106, uh, this is what Moses uh, uh, dealt with with Israel. And it says in verse 13, They soon forgot His works. Speaking of God, They waited not for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb. And this is where Exodus 32 comes in. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. They changed, they, uh, thus they changed their glory unto the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore He said that He would destroy them had not Moses His chosen stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath lest He should destroy them. So we have a man of God named Moses who saw the children of Israel, and you know the story, but the Bible said that Moses, God's chosen, made up the breach and he stood in the gap. Now if you turn to Exodus chapter 32, you'll find that Moses was up on the mountaintop on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments of the Lord. And I would like to make mention that this wasn't years and years after the deliverance from Egypt, but it was it was pretty soon, within a few months after they had left Egypt and God had poured out all the plagues on the Egyptians and they had saw with their eyes all that God had done. They had saw God's hand at the Red Sea when they crossed on dry land and all the Egyptians trying to cross after them was drowned in the midst of the Red Sea. Uh, They stood there on the banks of the Red Sea and they watched as the waters began to recede and form a wall of water on both of their sides and they went across on dry land. And, uh, And you would think that a generation that had saw that and saw the mighty hand of God move in ways that He had never moved before on the face of the earth and never has since, uh, you would think that if any generation uh, would have stayed with the power of God and stayed with God in worship, it would have been that generation. They were literally the men and women uh, that had been freed from slavery in Egypt after 430 years. That's all they knew was the life of a slave. And they were taskmasters. And and Pharaoh and his people treated them awful. And he beat them. And he whipped them. And they had to toil and make their own straw. And make their own bricks rather. And gather the straw. And, And suddenly Moses showed up on the scene. And God raised Moses up to deliver them. 
And Moses did deliver them by the hand of God. And he came to the Red Sea and the Egyptians were pursuing after them and they cried out to Moses, what are we going to do? And Moses cried out. In other words, he interceded to God on behalf of his people. Uh, Moses had to be one of the greatest pastors uh, that has ever walked the face of the earth. He was in charge, the under-shepherd, of over 600,000 men uh, besides women and children. And so that generation saw marvelous things. They saw terrible things. They saw wonderful things that God had done. And it wasn't a period of years after this, but it was within a few weeks that God called Moses up to Mount Sinai and He said, I'm going to give you the law that you can give to My people. So the Bible says the people gathered round about at the base of that mountain and the glory of God came down as a consuming fire and called Moses, the man of God, up to the top of the mountain. And the Bible said that Moses went up and the people were so afraid on the bottom they couldn't even come near the mountain. They couldn't touch the mountain lest they would, lest a breach would come upon them and the wrath of God would fall upon them in such a way that the writer of Hebrews said that Moses said, I do exceedingly fear and quake. And they watched their champion ascend up into the mount. And as he reached the top, the Bible says the smoke of the glory of God and the whole top of the mountain looked like it was on fire. And they watched their man of God ascend up right into that thick darkness and begin to talk with God. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, Moses stayed on top of the mountain and the people down at the bottom of the mountain, they said, he's been up there nearly six weeks and we don't know what's happened to him. Maybe they thought that God had killed him in the midst of that fire as they watched and they saw the fiery top of that mountain. But there is where God was teaching Moses that he was going to make a tabernacle after the pattern that God was showing unto him. Now that's where God took the finger of God Himself and wrote down the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone. Now, but there as Moses was talking with God, now, the people on the bottom of the mountain said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Now, let us make gods and, and let them go before us. And I thought, now, I thought, we're not a whole lot different. In my life, I've seen God do great things, wonderful things, marvelous things. And yet we still, like them, turn away. Uh, we say this Jesus that's gone into the heavens, He's not come back yet. They begin to get impatient uh, waiting on Moses. So uh, Aaron said, let's just break off your earrings and bring them unto me. And the people broke their earrings off and they brought them unto Aaron. Aaron had formed a mold of a god, a mold of a calf uh, that, uh, that he fashioned he melted their golden earrings and he took a graving tool and fashioned them a god and said, These be thy gods uh, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and they'll go before us. Uh, let's make an offering unto them. And they rose up the next morning and built an altar and sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, meanwhile, on the top of the mountain, God told Moses 
uh, your people, and that's a that's quite a thing. They were they were God's people, uh, but God said your people, Moses. He said no, they're no longer my people. He said my people wouldn't do that. He said that your people uh, that you brought out out of the land of Egypt, uh, they have quickly turned aside from my ways. And they have made themselves a God of gold. They have corrupted themselves. And he said, go and get down and see the abominations. And Joshua was there. And Joshua said, I hear a noise of war in the camp. And Moses said, that's not a voice of one that's being overcome in war. Neither is it a voice of them that's overcoming an enemy in war. But he said, it's the voice of them that do sing and dance do I hear. And Moses got down to the bottom of the mountain. He looked and he saw that abomination. He saw that golden calf. And Moses took the tables of stone. Now can you imagine what Moses had to say unto the people? Uh, there he was talking with God. He was interceding with God. Uh, God had told Moses before he came down, He said, your people have corrupted you or corrupted themselves. And God said something that you'll very seldom ever hear God say. He told Moses, leave me alone and let me destroy this people and I will make unto you a great nation. He said, I'll make a nation from you that's far better than the people that are with you now. And you know what Moses did? God said, leave me alone, Moses. And Moses said, God, I can't leave you alone. Moses loved those people and he begin to intercede with God on their behalf. I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that to get the attention of God and some people I don't think liked it too much, but I said you begin to pray His promises back to Him and people have said well now brother, uh, God don't need to be reminded. I know God's not forgotten His promise uh, but I'm just telling you what Moses the man of God did. He said, Father, oh God, uh, you remember what you promised unto Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He said, you promised them. I'll tell you this today, church, that there's nothing wrong with reminding God what He has promised. And there's nothing wrong in a lost sinner coming to God and saying, you promised uh, you would never cast out uh, one that comes to you. And that's a promise that you can depend on. He said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, with uh, reminding God, even though He needs no help in remembering what His promises are. He wanted Moses to remember uh, what God's promises are. He wants you to remember uh, what His promises are. Uh, when life gets hard, uh, when this generation is leaving one by one, and there are great big gaps there, I'm telling you the truth. A lost sinner today, if you're here, you hear me, and you hear me well. All that a man can ask for in life is just an opportunity. Whether it's going out into the workplace and you're in a job interview, the only thing you can ask is just give me an opportunity to show you how hard I can work. Give me an opportunity to prove myself loyal to you as a lost 
sinner, that the only thing you can ask for is just an opportunity and to be saved. That's all you can ask of God. That God doesn't owe you anything, but all you can ask for is just the opportunity. My friends, you've had the opportunity. You may have it right now to come and to be saved. It's imperative that the church of the living God begins to fall on our hands and knees and begins to intercede with God on behalf of these sinners. I pray every day and every night, oh sinner, I mention you by name. All that I can ask of God is that He would give you an opportunity to show you that you're lost. I can't make you see that you're lost, but there's one that I serve that's greater than I am, and I must decrease and He must increase. And it's Him that shows you how when you're lost and undone, it's Him that showed me one night as a young child that I'm not right in the sight of God any longer. That there is something that has severed that connection. But I want you to understand this. When I made my way to the altar, there were men and women in that church house that followed me wheresoever I went and bowed down about me and began to intercede with God for me. I'm telling you, there's nothing like that in this world. That when you see somebody trying to search out the living God, trying to trying to escape the damn. Let me ask you something, sinner friend. Do you want to go to hell today? Really? Have you ever thought about it? Is that really a place that you want to go? I'm telling you, I've been interceding with God for you. I've been on my knees. And I'm not puffing up myself. And I'm not, I'm not the only one that's been doing that for you. But I want you to understand how serious it is. Amen. I want you to understand, church, how serious it is. We act like that they're just going to always be here Sunday after Sunday. Let me tell you something. They might not always be here Sunday after Sunday. Things can happen. Sickness can come in. Satan can come in. You don't understand the danger that you're in. And you don't understand the danger, church, that these lost sinners are in. And Moses said, God, I can't leave you alone. I know you said leave me alone. But Moses cried out. And he said, but remember what you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised them that you would give their seed the land of Canaan. Amen. You promised them and you can't break your promise. And Moses got down to the bottom of the mountain. He saw that abomination, that golden calf. He took the tables of stones. He threw them. And what Moses would have had to say to them, that I've been on top of the mountain. I've talked with God. He's given me a tabernacle to build. He's given me this law and commandments. But when Moses saw that, and saw their abomination, and saw them naked and dancing, they didn't have a care in the world. You're living in the midst of a generation 
that are eating and drinking and rising up to play that don't have a care or a thought in the world about a coming judgment. But I'm telling you, I mentioned a while ago that those four horsemen of the apocalypse, pretty soon their clippity-clop will land on planet Earth. The world is getting ready to receive it. They're getting ready to receive the Antichrist. They're getting ready to take us mark. You might say, Preacher, uh, you're reading a whole lot into that. I'm telling you, I've been studying. I've been reading. I've been watching the headlines. I've been watching the news. I've been watching the rumors of war. I've been watching the Great Reset. I've been watching what do you think will happen in another world war. Uh, people are going to be bankrupt. Uh, that's, the, that's the rider on the black horse. After the rider on the black horse uh, comes the rider on a red horse. After that great war and the great reset and every nation's dollar falls and there'll be a one world currency and that'll become the rider on the red horse. Uh, that'll be famine. Uh, that'll be people uh, that have to choose between taking the mark and feeding their family. I'm telling you, dangerous times are coming on planet Earth and it's coming soon, my friend. It's coming soon. And after that is the rider on a pale horse. And the Bible says death and hell followed him. I'm telling you, you might think, preacher, you're way out in left field. That's all right. You don't always have to agree with me. But I just want to tell you uh, that uh, the United Nations a few years ago came out with something called Agenda 21. And that didn't work out. They changed the name to Agenda 2030. You get to read that, reading about the Great Reset. Uh, there are there are elites in this world, the movers and shakers. They want nothing more than to crumble and to collapse the greatest economy the world has ever known. Where does that leave us? Without men and women making up the head and standing in the gap. I'm telling you, our laws deserve better. It's what they've had leaving them. I don't mean to sound harsh when I say that, but I mean I look at the generation that's dying out and I see their labor. I've seen my granny get a hold of God. Now she wasn't rich and she didn't travel much. Now she could reach the throne of God. She had, a, she had a spirit about her and that whole generation did. Had a spirit about them. I said well ago they were cut from a different cloth. Uh, I would like to see the days that they saw. Uh, when you you know what you know what brings on those days, unfortunately, hard times. Hard times bring about those days. The problem, and it's really a blessing, but it's turned into sort of a problem, is that we've been so blessed and so coddled, and we have everything. We have more than our parents ever dreamed of having. I have thrown away more than my grandparents ever had in their life. And we have become so blessed that that blessing is almost a curse. They had hard times. They had two world wars. They had a Great Depression. But do you know what else they had? They had men and women on Sunday mornings showing up at the house of God way before everybody else lighting the pot belly stove and making sure it was warm enough. They had people tending to things like that. They had people, I'm told, you could walk down the street and hear a wife 
and the mama in the ditch line and in the barn are praying for their soldier, for their husband, for their little baby boy and to make it back home. There were no cell phones. They didn't know if they were alive or dead. All they had was the Lord. And buddy, they clung to Him. And you wonder why they had more people saved in those days than what we could ever dream of now. I'm telling you, God has not changed. What has changed is the lack of men and women willing to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And that's what we need. Help wanted. I'm telling you, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Pray. You might say, preacher, what can we do? You might not be of this mindset. But let me tell you what I believe. Because I've seen it with my own eyes. When I was a little boy, I can remember the men and women of God forming a circle and holding hands and dropping on our knees. And we begin to pray. We begin to mention sinners by name. Not just say, Lord, save the lost. We would call out their name. And I've seen conviction fall upon a man so hard as he tried to make his way to the altar, his knees just buckled under him. And down he went. And there he got saved. I'm telling you, the church of the living God, if we if we get a hold of it and we get it right, can pray conviction down upon a lost sinner. You don't hear that preached anymore. And you certainly almost never see it practiced anymore. But that's because we've got gaps and breaches. I'm telling you, the enemy don't have to look far before he can find a breach to go through. You can preach hellfire and damnation and maybe it'll get the attention of a lost sinner. But what happens is uh, Satan comes and snatches that right away from them. And they go right out the door and never think twice about it. All you can ask for is an opportunity. That God has given us an opportunity today. Today, He's given us an opportunity to say, Lord, I see the breaches. That generation is tied. That generation is is mighty in my mind. Maybe, maybe I hold them to too much esteem, but I don't think I do. But that generation is dying out and massive breaches are in our wall. You know what Moses said to God? He said, oh God, forgive them. He said, if you blot them out of your book, he said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can blot me out with them. Now that's an intercession. That's a prayer. That is Moses identifying with his people. I'm telling you, I might be the pastor here, but I am your servant. I identify with you. You don't know the love a man of God has for his church. You don't. I know you you got know, you know the love you have one for another. And I don't doubt that a bit. But I'm telling you, these that are lost, let me ask you something. Have you ever, maybe you've been saved and never told it. Maybe you've never got satisfied with what God has given you. Aren't you tired of living like that? There's a generation that's dying out and they think you're lost and you've been saved and you've never told it. Don't you think it would bring comfort to them to understand and know that their babies have been saved? I'm telling you, there's a. We need you, and you need the church. Help, won't it? 
That's what God seeks after today. He seeks after men. And lots of times I'll say, God, I don't know if I can preach today. You know how many times I've said that? Lord, I don't think I can do it, but I'll stand and I'll try. And it's not every time I'm up here, I get a hold of the Lord. I told you last week I'd have to go home and repent. I did such a poor job last week, it still haunts me today. Now that's the kind of burden a man of God has. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to pray. I need the prayers of those I love. There is, there is a need. And like Abraham, when Lot, his nephew, was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God said, Abraham, I'm not going to hide from you the thing which I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy that land. My goodness, Abraham had a nephew that he raised like his own son. And by the name of Lot, he began to intercede and say, Oh God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Uh, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He bargained with God. He got a hold of God. And Jacob wrestled with God all night one night. I've seen my granny and I've heard her talk about praying to God from the midnight hour and she'd still be on her knees at 6 o'clock the next morning. I'm telling you, that is dying with this generation. Men don't do that. I'm telling you, there's sometimes God's lucky if He can get five minutes at a time out of me in prayer. You might say, preacher, that's hard. I'm just telling I'm being honest with you today. And if you're being honest with me, there are times He's lucky to get that much out of you. Where are the interceders? Where are the beggars? Where are the pleasers? God said to Moses, I, will, I read it to you, 106 Psalms, I will surely destroy this people. And He said, I would have had not Moses my chosen made up the heads and stood in the gap. And Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter number 9, he was also angry with Aaron, Moses' brother. He said he would have destroyed Aaron had not Moses stood in the gap. You don't understand. You that are lost without God, you can't see yourself. You are dangling out over hellfire. You're dangling out. And no, the only thing that is holding you above that bottomless pit, that pit that has no bottom, where men are trying to claw their way up the side, where the flame is licking up their bread, where the very fires of hell itself goes down into their throats, where you have a worm there that does not die, and a fire there that is not quenched, and you are hanging out over the over the balconies of hell, and the only thing that's keeping you from falling is the grace of God Amen. that's giving you one more opportunity. Amen. Don't waste this opportunity. Church today, between now and spring revival, I would challenge all of us. Be interceders. Be interceders. Fall down. Spend some time with God. And say, oh God, that generation that's dying out, and they are leaving a breach in the wall. They are leaving a breach in the church. They're leaving a gap. Where are the praying men and women? I'm telling you, when that generation is gone, I'm afraid the prayers of the saints are drying up. They really are. They really are. We can't seem to get a hold of God the way we used to. 
People ask me all the time, Preacher, where's the power of God when? I'll say the power of God is available like it was in the days of old. But if you don't want it, it will not show up. But if you do, I mean if you get hungry, and I get hungry, and we begin to beg and plead, I'm not talking about a lip service, I'm talking about falling on your face and begin to beg and plead like you've not done in a great long while and begin to desire the mercy of God to fall down out of heaven and begin to trouble the lost. I believe we've got lost in our midst. I believe we could see them run to the altar. I believe this altar could be filled up. I believe we could see them saved. But it's going to take some intercession. It's going to take some pleading. It's going to take some uh, people on their knees it's going to, you might say, preacher, I don't believe in all that. That's between them and the Lord. And in a sense, you're right. Salvation is between them and the Lord. But I'm telling you, God's still got a great big help on it to sign up. He still wants people to cry out. He still wants, that's what they did. That's what they did in the Old Testament. When men and women came to Jesus, they fell down at His feet. They interceded on behalf of their sons and their daughters. And my son is grievously tormented with the devil, one man said. And oftentimes, it cast him into the fire. And oftentimes, it cast him into the water. Your children are being cast about from pillar to post and doctrine to doctrine. And we wonder why they don't know what's real and what's not. I'm telling you, they need to see something in Mama and Daddy and in Grandma and Grandpa and in Preacher and Pastor. They need to see something in us worth desiring for themselves. They see a bunch of old, dried-up Christians paying lip service, uh, coming in with formal worship, uh, coming in on every page by the letter and by the book, and there's no spirit in that. Uh, My friend, they will die lost without God. They will. They will. I'm telling you, there's a great big hedge and a great big gap. Help wanted. God still wants people to stand in the gap. You might say, preacher, I don't know what in the world it is that I'm supposed to do. I don't know what you're supposed to do either. Brother Ricky White told me one time, he said, I prayed that God would give me something to do, and He did. It's not always the most glamorous, but He's changed about every light bulb in this church, dragging out an old ladder. I'm telling you, that stuff like that goes unnoticed. Nobody knows who done it, and nobody. But somebody has got to be willing. If you can say, if all that I can do for the service of the house of God is drag out an old ladder and begin to climb one rung at a time and change the light bulbs out, that helps the man of God see what he's doing up here. And there's glory and honor in that. He'll give you something to do. But if you can't come up with anything else, he has called. Every born again believer as a priest to intercede on behalf of the church and on behalf of the lost. You have been calling by God to be a priest, and part of a priest's job is to perform intercessory prayer. And so that's that's what we need to do. I didn't know how this would go today, but I've traveled as far with it as I think that I can. But time and time again throughout the Word of God, you take notice. You take notice. First of all, if it's been a while since you've picked it up, you need to pick it up. 
You need to read it. You need to see what thus saith the Word of the Lord. And then you notice how many people are falling down and praying for others. And there's nothing greater that you can do than to intercede. And maybe it's just praying for Brother Don and Jonelle and all of these that are sick and in the hospital. I'm telling you, don't you diminish that. The best thing you can do is intercede for somebody on behalf of God. That He had poured out His healing or His blessing or His salvation, His conviction. The only thing you can do is ask for an opportunity. And so you ask that God would give these sinners one more opportunity. Let me tell you something. This sure increased, and you sure might not agree with it, but you can't be saved just any old time. I don't believe that. I believe that you have to. And what happens is, the more often you put it off, the more often you put it off, the more often you put it off, the colder and deader you become on the inside. And the harder it is for the Word of God to penetrate that hard heart. But you can be saved when the Spirit gets right. You can be saved when God is knocking and pleading. And then that's when it goes good. When the men and women of God have interceded and the man of God has preached and the songs of Zion are sung, and then God begins to move. Let me tell you something. If God puts somebody on your heart, I can I can rest assured and promise you He's working on that heart. He's working on that end. If He puts Him on your heart, He's working on that man. And you begin to earnestly pray and make up the hedge and stand in the gap and see what God will do. So I've traveled as far as I think that I can. Come get your song. That's our message. God bless you. Help on it is what we've got for you today.